Well, hey, this morning we continue our look at the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. We're using these journal Bibles as a way to kind of track and make notes, and I'm going to have some stuff for you to do. So if you don't have one this morning, if you would, raise your hand and usher will uh, bring one to you. Don't be shy. Uh, it'll be a better experience if you have one. So get their attention. They'll drop one off. We're going to pick up in Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 8. Last week we started, looked at the first seven verses, and Daniel, just to catch you up really fast, Daniel is an Old Testament book of exile. Daniel is the story of God's people Not in Jerusalem, not in Israel, but in Babylon. And it is an incredibly relevant book for us today because it tells a story of what it means to believe and cling to God's faithfulness in a world that's trying to pry us loose from faithfulness to God, in a world where the deck is stacked against belief in in the God of the universe. What does it look like to be faithful? So we're in Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 8. I'm going to read the rest of the chapter. It's a little long. Hang in there with me. Let's see what the Spirit has to say to us in God's Word today. So Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 8. It said, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Pause right there. Uh, last week, what we looked at was that these, these Jewish people had been taking, taken into Babylonian exile and they were essentially entered into a, like a re-education program that was meant to like get the Jewishness out of them and train them in the Babylonian ways. And there are all kinds of ways they did this, education and work. Um, but one of the ways they did this was through food. And so what you see is Daniel says no to the food. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. The chief of the eunuchs was the one overseeing them. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. But then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, and these are his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh. They looked healthier than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions And dreams, and we'll see that come into play next week. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar the king, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better 
than all the magicians and enchanters there were in all his kingdom, the smartest, most capable leaders in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So let's pause there. There's an old saying that the ancient monks had, and it was every choice is a renunciation. Every time you say yes to something, you say no to something else. So when you said yes to coming to church this morning, you said no, probably not to sleeping in uh, at this point of the morning, but you said no to all kinds of other opportunities, places you could be, things you could be doing. If you say yes to ice cream late at night, you're saying no to feeling great the next morning. Sometimes the trade-off's worth it. When you say yes to being a Vikings fan, I'm not even going to finish that. It just writes itself. Every yes, every yes is also a no. And this morning what I want you to see is that we can say yes to God so that we can say no to anything else. We want to learn to say no to anything else that offers us the promise of a good life, anything else other than God. And so for those of you who were here last week, uh, one of the things I asked you to do was to to read all of chapter 1 and to write down what did Daniel and his friends say yes to and what did they say no to. So I'm going to run through this quickly. Here's what they said yes to. They said yes to life in Babylon. They just said yes. They, they agreed. They didn't try to get out of it. There are all kinds of ways, maybe violent, maybe giving up their lives, but they didn't have to accept being brought to Babylon. They went along with it. They said yes to life in Babylon. They said yes to pagan education. They said yes to the curriculum of the Chaldeans that, that trained them in the ways of Babylon. They said yes to political careers. They accepted roles in the empire. They said yes to name changes. In chapter 1, we're told that they're given other names, and over the course of the book, you'll see that they don't fight against that. They use those other names. They're called by those names. They said yes to all of those things. They said no to just one thing. They said no to food. They said no to food. Seriously, food. So imagine if like a guest came for the very first time to CPC, and that, that even might be some of you, but if you said, okay, I'll, I'll come to your church I'll sit through your worship service. I'll sing the songs. I'll pray the prayers. I might even put money in the plate. But drink your coffee? No way. Eat your donuts? How dare you, sir? Like, what in the world is going on? Why say no to food from the king's table? So I want you to take your Bibles, and in verse 9 and verse 17, find the word gave, I want you to circle the word gave. Gave, it actually shows up three times in this chapter, but in these two times, it says that God gave Daniel and his friends favor and compassion, and it gave them wisdom and skill. You see, there's a story beneath the story that's going on. So if you have a favorite TV show or a show that you like watching, you can just like pick up at any point in the middle of a season and you know the story beneath the story. 
Like, you know the characters, you know what's going through their heads, you know what motivates them, you know the story beneath the story, and therefore you can just understand how they're going to behave, what they're going to do, or why they choose to do the things they do. Well, the story beneath the story here is that Daniel and his friends had already said yes to God. That is the story beneath the story, that they had said yes to God, that they were motivated by their belief that God would provide that God was the one who was in control and that he would give them exactly what they need. That's the story beneath the story, that God gave them what they need. Now I want you to go to verse 8, and I want you to underline the king's food. The king's food. What was the big deal about the king's food? Why were they willing to risk their lives and maybe even the lives of those who oversaw them to get out of eating the food and wine from the king. Which, I'll be completely honest, food and wine from the king's table does not sound that bad. Actually sounds like a treat. So they did not want to eat this. Here's the thing. In the ancient world, when you accepted food from a king's table, you were saying yes to that king. When you accepted food from the table, you were saying yes to that king. Because the king's table was special. You can think of any number of movies that like depict an ancient scene with a big banquet. I think about A Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger, with Heath Ledger, uh, A Knight's Tale, and, and how they have this big elaborate feast, and it's just the best choice, food, meat, wine, uh, cheese, bread, it's all of it, right? And then you contrast that with what the average person in sort of an ancient society would eat, which would be a very simple diet, maybe some stale bread, maybe some dirty water. And so the contrast was just great between what you could get in everyday life and what was from the king's table. And so this would have been just incredibly uh, alluring and, and tempting to eat from the king's table. But last week I said that the Babylonians didn't try to convert these young Jewish men, by the threat of violence or power. They were trying to woo them with the best life that Babylon could offer. Because Babylon wants you to believe, not just in your head, but like deep in your gut, that this is the best, that it can truly satisfy you, that it can offer you peace and comfort and security and satisfaction. That's the promise of Babylon. And to eat from the king's table was to agree, to accept, to say yes to the promises of Babylon, to say that the king's promises were good and true. In fact, it was to say, I pledge my allegiance even to this king and his empire. And so it might seem counterintuitive, but the message of Daniel so far seems to be, don't be afraid of learning a pagan curriculum. Don't be afraid of working in a secular marketplace. Don't be afraid, afraid of the words and the labels and the names that others might call you. In fact, uh, one of the other prophets of Israel was living at the time of the exile, Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 29, he says this, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city, Babylon, to which I have called you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You can make a little note that to go back and read Jeremiah 29 in light of the text of Daniel. But he says, don't be afraid of Babylon. Don't be afraid of living here. Don't be afraid of these things. He says, be afraid of the king's food. 
which is a way of saying, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Don't drink the Babylonian Kool-Aid. Be afraid of accepting the good life that Babylon has on offer. Theologian Samuel Wells says, to eat at the king's table is to be at once favored and indebted. Daniel perceives this is the most dangerous cord binding him to the king. Daniel will be his respectful subject, but he will not be his son. The king of Babylon wants nothing less than for these young men to believe that he's their father. That he's the one who provides for them. That he is the one worthy of their worship. That he is the one who provides the satisfaction and the security that they need. To eat the king's food was to say yes to the promises of Babylon. But remember, the story beneath the story is that they've said yes to God. And this allows them to say no to the king's food. You see, there are really powerful, really important yeses in our lives that also allow us to say powerful no's. One can think of marriage, right? When you stand on an altar like this, or probably in some trendy barn venue these days, (laughs) and you make vows, you're saying a powerful yes that allows you to say powerful no's to any other alternative or option. There are powerful yeses we can make. And because God's people know that they don't need Babylon to flourish, they don't need Babylon. They can say a powerful yes to God and a powerful no to the king's table. What does saying yes to God mean that you have the power to say no to? For you, what does saying yes to God mean that you now have the power to say no to? Because it might mean settling. It might mean settling for something less than what the world says you should be pursuing. It might mean doing something crazy that others would look at and go, why would you do that? Why would you choose that path? Why would you spend your time or your resources that way? We can say a powerful no to the promises of the world because we have a powerful yes in God. Back in your journal Bibles, I want you to go to verse 15 and I want you to underline that whole verse. It says, at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Underline that verse. The point of this observation in the text is not uh, to eat vegetables. I mean, it's not that like, if we eat vegetables, then God will bless us. I mean, it'd be nice if that were true. But that's not the point. The, this passage is evidence that God provides for his people more than Babylon ever could. They don't need the king. They don't need his table. They don't need his food. They don't need his power. They don't need Babylon. They don't need Babylon to satisfy them. Because Babylon represents the best the world has to offer. This is the largest, most powerful empire the world has ever known at this time of history. 
And it says, trust in me for peace, for hope, for security and comfort. We might even dare use the word salvation. Trust in me for salvation. But Daniel and his friends, they can say no to what the world has to offer because they believe that God provides salvation for his people in a way that Babylon never can. They know that there's another path, really only one path to security and peace and comfort in this life. And on the other side of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we know that that's true for us, that the cross is God's deep yes to us in Jesus. The cross is God's deep yes, that God, God provides for us a way that no one else can and nothing else can, that he's with us and he's in control and he has power and he's offering us a life that truly satisfies. We can say no to all the promises of the world when we have said yes to God's deep yes to us in the cross because the cross satisfies us, satisfies us deeply in this life and the next in a way the promises of Babylon or the world never could. What do I want you to do? I want you to say yes to Jesus so that you can say no to any promise the world makes. Because we just, going through the world, Jesus tells his followers, you're gonna be in the world, but don't be of it. You're gonna be in the world, but don't be of it. So to be in the world, we're gonna say yes to a lot of things. But what does it look like to keep coming back to Jesus, to seeking the Holy Spirit over and over again so that we can say yes to all kinds of things, but that we can say no to the good life that's being offered by the world around us? What does it look like to be like Daniel and his friends, to not make a big show? Did you notice they didn't make a big show about what they were doing? They just quietly and faithfully, regularly submitted to God so that when the opportunity came, they could say no to any temptation that came. What does it look like to be regularly and quietly and persistently faithful in Scripture and in prayer and in gathering with God's people so that we remind ourselves over and over and over again that Jesus is enough and that we can resist the temptation to chase after whatever promise that the world throws our way? What promises are you chasing that if you're honest, it will ultimately come up empty? What promises will come up empty. How do I know they come up empty? I know they come up empty because Babylon always comes up empty. The last thing I want you to do is, at the very last verse of this chapter, verse 21, I want you to circle first year of King Cyrus. And out beside it, I want you to write the word Persia. Nebuchadnezzar, thinks he has won. He thinks he has defeated the God of Israel. He has captured his people. He has ruined their homeland. Nebuchadnezzar thinks he has won. But there's a hint. I had you write Persia out beside King Cyrus because King Cyrus is Persian. Nebuchadnezzar is Chaldean or Babylonian. There's a subtle hint at the end of chapter 1. At the end of this book, Daniel is still standing, but Nebuchadnezzar is not. Babylon is over by the end of this book. 
right? We're reminded that the promises of this world sound good, but ultimately they fail. They fall apart. Australian pastor Mark Sayers, uh, I heard this on a podcast this past week called Rebuilders. He says, all the stories are failing. The world without God will fail. It will have moments of seeming success, but it's continually moving towards a death without the resurrection power of Jesus. The only thing that is living and growing and expanding is the kingdom of God in the world. All else will pass. The world without God will fail. And at the end of the book of Daniel, the Babylonians are long gone, but the kingdom of God is standing today. You see, Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's won, but what he doesn't realize is he's led, he's led a Trojan horse into the kingdom. He's invited God in. And because God's people have said yes to him, they can say no to Babylon and they can be a witness to God's power and faithfulness in the midst of Babylon. God had a Trojan horse in the Babylonian empire. He has one today. He has a Trojan horse in the midst of the world. He has a Trojan horse in the midst of the world. Pastor John Tyson says that a Christian community is a web of stubbornly loyal relationships knotted together in a living network of persons in a complex and challenging cultural setting, Babylon, who are committed to practicing the ways of Jesus together for the renewal of the world. God had them in Babylon for a reason. God has us right where we are for a reason. To practice the way of Jesus in the midst of a complex and challenging cultural situation. When we say yes to Jesus, we can say no to the promises of the world. And that allows us to testify with our very lives to something better, something more powerful, and something that will last from now through eternity. Let's pray. Holy God, may this be true of us. May we cling to you. May we say a deep yes to you that we can say no to any other temptation to chase after a good life apart from you. We thank you for Jesus and how his death and resurrection sets us free from all of our sin and brokenness and allows us to move towards you. Help us to practice that together. We love you and praise you. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. Hey, over the past year, we have lost some people. As a family, as a church body, you've lost loved ones. And it has been a particularly hard time to lose people. It's just like wave upon wave of loss and grief and frustration. It feels like the deck has been stacked against us. And so, As the body of Christ, we gather to say that it's okay to grieve, mourning is healthy, and to say that death doesn't have the final word. And so we are gathered here to remind ourselves, to remind each other, that our friends who have passed away in the past year, that they are celebrating with Jesus now. So we come to mourn alongside of those of you who have lost, we come to celebrate the lives of those who are now rejoicing with Jesus. So as you watch this video, I encourage you just to reflect on how God is caring for and loving these who we've lost over the past year.